Welcome to the Taking the Lead podcast, where we empower people to be unstoppable. I'm Christina Hepner with my co-hosts, Leslie Hoskins and Timothy Cunio. So today, Leslie did a big thing this morning. Listen, I am barely hanging on I right know. now. It is an emotional day. I took my little my little uh, five-year-old to his first day of kindergarten. Oh, such a big, oh, he's so, wow. such a big boy. He's so big and he was so excited. Thank goodness he was excited. He said he was a little nervous, which of course, but we went through all the things. Okay, what's your teacher's name? What grade are you in? Because you just drop him off. Like you don't get out of the car with him. You just pull up and then he hops out and that's the end. You just hope he makes it there. <laughs> the no pictures? Oh, I mean, I took pictures at the house oh. and then I have pictures of him walking in. But like, oh, I don't okay. know that he made it to his classroom. I'm assuming he did. I'm sure that there are adults <laughs> oh, wow. there that, you know, help direct oh, all know. the little kids and... I know there were multiple adults. They were oh all gosh. helping him, but I was, I waited at least till he got out of the car. And then I sobbed uncontrollably sobbed, like embarrassingly oh, sobbed. Um, Timothy Leslie was showing me the pictures. He is adorable. Like he would just look oh, so happy so. for his first day of school. He was pumped and his little backpack, not his little, his giant backpack. Cause they have to have a full size backpack to carry like all their winter clothes and stuff and whatnot. But it was full of all the school supplies, all the crayons and the markers and the uh, Lysol wipes and all the things. So, I mean, I'm lucky he could even walk with it and he didn't just like <laughs> tip over backwards. Wow. I know well, that's a, big, that's a big step for a five-year-old to go to kindergarten for the first day. Oh. Yeah. I just, I can't believe we're here. And it's weird because, you know, we just moved, as everybody knows. So we're in a brand new school district. We don't know anybody yet. Um, so really just dropping him off to a building where I know no other humans, which is a crazy thought. So I told Christina, I was like, we've got to get out of here this morning. I got to get there. I got to pick up my kid. I got to be in the parking lot ready to go. I'm excited to see how his first day went. I'm sure. I'm excited great. to hear how that all went. He's so good. He'll, it'll be great. Did you put one of those apple tags on them? Oh, my God, Timothy, why haven't I thought of that? I need to do that. Be careful with those apple tags, though, because anyone can tag onto those. That's true. So you don't want to put one of those on your children. What can I do to track him? Oh, God, he's going to hear this one. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> ask Christine's father. <laughs> yeah, ask my dad. <laughs> that's true. Um, Life 360, is. I think that's the app or something like that. Well, then I have to get him, like, a device. Oh, yeah. You don't want him to have a cell phone in five years oh, or at fifth grade. Heavens, no. Or kindergarten. Fifth grade. I just said your child was in fifth okay, grade. Okay, settle down. We're just now in <laughs> kindergarten. And it's weird right now, too, because my daughter is with um, my in-laws, and then she'll be with my parents this week because she doesn't start school till after. So we have a whole week with just Zach, which is so exciting and fun to do some special one-on-one -on -one things. But it's it's weird, you know, when you have two and only um, one of them's home for a while. Yeah. Makes it special for him. Yeah. Makes it special for him for the entire week. Yeah, so that's good. Yeah, and I think then he'll be able to show her where to go and stuff next week. So he'll be able to be the big brother. And yeah, that's going to be gosh. fun with them too, both in the same building I'll be together. sobbing next week too. But it's nice that they're in the same building. They are. And normally, yeah. It's cool now to become teenagers and then that's when the issues will start. <laughs> I loved being in the same school as my older my brother. My little sister. It was cool because I like knew all his friends already. So, yeah. And then I married one. It was really convenient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, I was only in the same school with my sister. Okay. Um, yeah. And I remember she could drive and I couldn't. So, like, I had to rely on her. And sometimes I had to take the bus. 
Yeah, I, that wasn't so fun. Or yeah. I'd always have to sit in the back seat because, yeah. you know, whoever my brother was into, right. I had to ride in the front seat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Same. And Or I'd be like, no, I'm your sister. I'm staying in the front seat. Yeah. I'd have those moments, you know, those high school moments, geez, that you look back on and you're like, why? Like, what was the point? <laughs> So funny. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to hear about all your kids going through all of that. Oh, I mean, you got time. But. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> Listen, I'm barely holding on today. So, but anyways, in other news, besides my emotional breakdowns, <laughs> yes. um, we are really super excited for today's guest. I had the pleasure of meeting her while she was on campus getting her very first uh, guide dog, which was really not too long ago. Yes. And Arabella Jones is a new leader dog graduate who is living in St. Paul, Minnesota with her leader dog, Ayla, and three cats. She is currently working as an ophthalmology assistant after switching careers from veterinary tech. Arabella enjoys working in the ophthalmology office and helping others with visual impairments. Welcome to the podcast, Arabella. It's exciting to have you here today. So tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you lost your vision. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I have RP, like you, Timothy, so I have retinitis pigmentosa. I am considered legally blind. I have about um, 15 to 20 degrees of central vision left, and, and that's, that's about it. And so you lost your vision, and how has that really like impacted your life? What's, what's changed for you? Has it been a kind of a gradual thing, or was there one day you kind of woke up and you were like, okay, wow, this is different, this is new, what do I have to do? No, it's actually been very gradual for me um, to the point where sometimes I don't even, I think back to when I was a teenager and I'm like, wow, I, my vision's really changed because I do, I think about things I've done as a teenager and I was like, oh man, I could not do that now. (laughs) Um, Or things I saw or, you know, just, just life things. So it's been very gradual for me, um, which I think, you know, is good and bad. Absolutely. Yes. Everybody experiences vision loss in different ways. And that's an interesting perspective. I hadn't thought about that to really, you know, look back and say, wow, oh my gosh, I could see more or I did so many different things because I could see more. Um, And now you're just tackling things in a different way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that is a really cool thing to hear. And so did you ever, so you have a guide dog now. Did you ever use a white cane? Did you ever get those orientation and mobility services before getting your guide dog? I did. Interestingly, I got, so I was diagnosed with RP at 22 and I'm 28 now. Um, and I got O&M training pretty much right away after getting diagnosed, which I don't think I would recommend to anyone. Um, just in the sense that I was very emotional when that happened. And so I was like trying to process all these emotions of just having been diagnosed with RP and having my vision change and I wasn't able to drive anymore, you know, and all these things. Um, and then doing the O&M on top of it, I don't, I didn't really absorb as much as I should have. So what ended up happening is I just didn't use my cane for the longest time because I was stubborn and it was just really difficult for me to mentally accept that I needed to use the cane. Um, and then when I was about 25, 26, my vision started getting worse and worse. 
And um, I had a few instances where I, you know, tripped over steps or um, fell, you know, I fell down a stair, ran into trees, things like that. Um, ended up in the emergency room a few too many times. And oh finally, goodness. I had to accept in myself. I was like, OK, this is no longer safe. <laughs> I need to start using my cane. So I did a refresher of my O&M skills um, and then started using my cane more frequently. So Arabella, I just wanted to touch on, you just said that, you know, you should have waited to get services. I don't think we've heard that before. You know, we've heard like, you know, people had been ready or that sort of thing. But, you know, you said you should have waited and gone through that emotional journey. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's different for every person. I... When I was diagnosed, I still had um, a significant amount of functional remaining vision. So it wasn't a like emergent safety issue with me. Um, and I was kind of rushed into it, whereas like, oh, you need to go to, you know, you go to blind school, you need to learn Braille. And I was, I was just processing the fact that I never considered myself to be visually impaired before. Um, so I was really just processing all of that. And I, I just didn't, I felt like I wasn't able to get the same out of O&M training as I maybe would have if I had been able to process the emotional side of being diagnosed first. I think you bring up such a good point. It's so important to know or be ready for services, right? You have, there's so many different stages of, of grief and acceptance and denial and bargaining. You know, there's all those different seven steps where you, and people go back and forth and you can jump into services a little too soon and not get out of it what you need to. So I think that's a really important point that sometimes it's not the right answer to jump right into getting services after being diagnosed. And for other people, it is. They have to get moving. They have to get started. So kind of knowing yourself and being able to step back and say, okay, I'm not quite ready, but I totally understand when you're getting into that and people are just, they want to help. Everybody wants to get you excited and it's great that services were available to you. I think that's a real positive, but I totally understand that. And I, I really appreciate you bringing that point up. Yeah. I think it's important to think about the emotional and mental health side of, of disabilities because there's, it's, it's so much, you know, disabilities affect our mental health um, so much. Yeah. And, you know, you also said that you did a little refresher course. So how did you know you were ready to get a guide dog and how did you find leader dog? Well, to be quite honest with you guys, I have been an animal lover since I was very small. I mean, I was that kid that like I once found a orphaned baby squirrel (laughs) and I brought in the orphaned baby squirrel and like was caring, you know, nursing this squirrel in my closet. I was trying to hide it from my mom. Um, (laughs) So I have been like animals are just I have such a relationship with animals. So quite honestly, when I was diagnosed with RP and as we were kind of working, my family and I were working through emotionally and practically of what my life's going to look like 5, 10, 20 years from now um, and changing that perspective, changing that idea of what my life's going to look like. It was just kind of like, well, you're going to get a guide dog. Of course you are. Arabella, guide dog. It just makes sense. Um, That makes sense. So it's just always been, I mean, even my dad said it in one of my very first occupational therapy appointments, I remember my dad asking, well, when can she get a guide dog? Because I know my daughter and my daughter's not going to use a cane, but she will like she will work much better with a guide dog. 
You know, the cane is just, she's not going to get along with the cane, but she will work with a guide dog much better, just knowing who I am as a person. So I kind of always saw the cane as steps I needed to take to get a guide dog for me personally. Leslie is heartbroken right now. <laughs> I think I want to talk to your father <laughs> over the cane. She lo- I, you know, she trains on that white cane and that is her number one. You know, I, there have been moments though that now that I've had Ayla, you know, the cane, there's a lot of pros to the cane. Um, the cane doesn't shed and I think my robot vacuum probably appreciates my cane a lot more. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Um, yeah. No, I'll take it, what I can get. I, I definitely don't want to, you know, say that I'm anti-cane. I still use my cane when I need to, um, you know, coming up here soon, I'm going to go to the Minnesota State Fair and that's just not an environment where I think it would be fair for Ayla to be expected to be at her best behavior with food everywhere and smells and so I'm going to be using my cane so I mean it's very important to have your cane skills even if you have a guide dog and that's probably the thing I've learned through leader dog one of the best things I've learned through leader dog that's so good to hear I love that (laughs) now she's all happy yeah you're perking me right up I love it I still prefer Ayla whenever possible. (laughs) You build me up, you knock me down. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm totally kidding. That's really funny. So you finally decided to get a guide dog. Mm -hmm. So what made you choose leader dog? It was actually a post on Facebook. Um, I was looking (gasps) into, so here's kind of what happened. I, I did my refresher course in cane training and I knew I needed to use my cane consistently and well and get comfortable with it. Um, so I was doing that for a couple years and then I kind of was like, okay, I'm ready to start looking and getting a guide dog. Um, my own personal dog passed around the same time that I my vision declined. And so it was kind of like I had to deal with the emotions of, of her passing and I didn't really want to just get a, a new dog <laughs> right away. Um, so I was looking at all the guide dog schools and I was following their Facebooks and Instagrams and all that stuff. And a leader dog posted something about their dogs wearing winter boots. And I was like, well, that's obviously the best case scenario for me because I live in Minnesota. Um, and we, you know, <laughs> we have a big winter. <laughs> yeah. Winter is something we're well known for. So I was like, well, that's perfect. Um, I don't know. It just kind of made me look into leader dog more. And I appreciated that they were closer to Minnesota. Um, and every, and then I inquired with their client services and just every experience I've had with leader dog is just so everyone's so nice and welcoming and warm and great. And I, it's just, it was a no brainer. (laughs) That's awesome. You've got Christina fist pumping over here with yeah. her Facebook post. She's like, I nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Dog sold boots. <laughs> right? I handle the digital marketing. So it's great to know that it's working and it that it's reaching yeah. the people we want it to reach. And you're doing it. Posting a little bit of everything. I'm really trying over here. That's and awesome. And it makes me happy that you saw it on <laughs> Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> that's really cool. Yes. That's one of my favorite days, honestly, is when they do train the dogs with the little booties. You know, because they just can't quite figure it out. They're like, what is going on? And they walk so funny and they like don't want to put their feet down, but they have to have their feet down. And it's just hilarious. But they wear the little booties for winter and super hot weather, which I found interesting. Yeah. 
<laughs> I tried to pet booties on my dog Duke one time. It didn't go well. <laughs> it's it's one of the funniest things yeah. to watch. They're, the, yeah. they're good sports about it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Ayla's about to get her refresher course um, in boots. I ordered her some winter boots, and oh, she's going to get her refresher course here soon. <laughs> You'll have to send us some photos because we love that. It's yeah. so cute. So how is Ayla doing now at work, in the office, your home? How has everything transitioned? She has been doing great. I think most of our issues are like she she knows what to do. It's me stressing or having anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was a lot harder, you know, bringing her home than I even ever imagined. It was, I mean, I guess hard is not the right term. It was just kind of stressful. Everything's different. Every you know, Everything's different. And you just don't think of all the ways that things are going to be different. Um, but I will say she's just doing great. She takes every challenge that I give her with like such gusto and her tail's wagging and she's just ready to go. Um, so she's been absolutely wonderful at the office. My coworkers love her. Um, they wish they could love her, you know, per, you know <laughs> pet her and stuff. They're very respectful. <laughs> Um, to the point where when she first came, like the first week or two, like people wouldn't even look at her because they were like, well, we don't want to, we don't want to distract her from working. Like we don't want to distract her. So they were like, I was like, you can look at her. (laughs) That's great though. Yeah. No, they were like so respectful and great. It's, it's better for people to err on the side of more respectful because that's, that's usually not what you get. Absolutely. That's awesome. So so tell us a little bit about what you do there and what your office does and how that's really impacted you. Yeah, so I work as an ophthalmology assistant. I work at the University of Minnesota's eye clinic, um, actually in their neuro-ophthalmology department, which is a subspecialty of ophthalmology. And I do a lot of administrative tasks, um, some patient care tasks, I don't do, you know, like the vision testing um, and things that people are used to when you go to the eye doctor. I'm more of, I communicate between the patients and the doctor. So I facilitate essentially making it so that every patient comes in, they get all the tests they need. I communicate with the technicians that are running those tests with the doctor if there needs to be any changes. I make sure all the records are collected from previous visits. Um, And then... I get, you know, I have the patient see the doctor. I facilitate whatever the doctor needs in terms of that visit and then coordinate further care. Depending on the situation, we'll refer to other doctors or treatment or things like that. So I'm kind of the behind the scenes person moving all the little parts to make sure all the big parts run as they're supposed to. That's a lot. Sounds like a lot of tasks there. It can be a lot sometimes. What made you move from the veterinary profession to the ophthalmology profession? That's actually an interesting question, and and it really comes down to my vision. My vision got to a point where I was no longer able to work in patient care in veterinary medicine, and that's what I loved. And so I moved into administrative, and then I, I was just kind of looking at career options because I had to, with my vision declining, I kind of had to accept that my career needed to take a different path. So I ended up getting a job at the front desk at the eye clinic. Um, And then 
a position opened up for this facilitator position working with one of the neuro-ophthalmologists there, and I took it, and I ran with it, and now I, I love it. So it kind of fell in my lap in a way, but I did certainly, it intrigued me to work at an eye clinic being visually impaired. Absolutely. So are there people there that are coming and kind of receiving these diagnoses of legal blindness? There are, I mean, almost every day. So what's that like being on kind of the other side of it and, you know, kind of being around people that are going through this and just finding out this type of information? I really like it. It brings me a lot of job satisfaction and just personal satisfaction, too. Um, I really try in our office specifically to create a more wholesome or all-encompassing service to where, you know, of course, we're there as medical professionals to diagnose you, you know, to give you a prognosis, to offer treatment, those kinds of things. But I also have created a lot of resources for people to hand them of you know, where, what's next? Like, okay, so now I have been diagnosed with this, you know, vision challenging disease. Um, What's next? So I have handouts for driving rehabilitation programs um, or state services for the blind here in Minnesota, which is a great organization that helps visually impaired people connect them with resources, things like that. So I think that's something that I've brought to the table just with my own experience. That's incredible, seriously, because that's the biggest thing that we hear from clients all the time is that, you know, they're diagnosed and then they don't know what to do or where to go or how to proceed. So to have somebody in that office, one, who's a wonderful example of all the things you can do, you know, while visually impaired, I mean, nothing has really slowed you down by any means. Um, And then two, just to be there to hand them resources, let them know this isn't the end. There are, you know, multiple different things that you can go and start doing when you're ready, of course. Um, But I think that's absolutely incredible. I wish every ophthalmology office had an Arabella. (laughs) I think that's (laughs) wonderful. I really take pride in that. And I, there was one time I got to meet another leader dog, Um, a patient brought in our patient was there and she was, she had a leader dog and I got to meet her and they got to meet Ayla. And it was just like so cool because they were so surprised to kind of see me in my role. Um, and I think there's such a stereotype of, you know, visually impaired blind people can't do things or like can't have like a professional job. Um, and especially like a medical job. And so I think she was so surprised to see me there. And I was like, yeah, like I have RP. I have vision loss. I'm working. This is my leader dog. She helps me. She's, she's you know, very used to clinic life and things like that. So that was really cool. It sounds like, I mean, when we spoke, when you were on campus, like you have a ton of support in your office too. Like the doctors and other professionals there like are encouraging you. They want you to, you know, maybe continue on in your education and go further and do such amazing things, which is awesome. Yeah, I have, I work with a absolutely wonderful doctor um, and he's just so nice and supportive and all my coworkers, technicians, my management, everyone there has just been so supportive and gung-ho and just anything I need, they'll get me. That's incredible. I'm so excited. I'm so happy that you found Leader Dog because of those little rain boot Facebook posts. I know. <laughs> yes. 
Good job, Christine. And you're making so many other people's lives. Like you're impacting so many other people who are recently going through this, again, as an example of what you can do, but also just sharing resources. I mean, that is the, the most incredible thing I think you can be doing. Um, but I'm curious too. So recently you had your family, uh, kind of hosted or did a leader dog golf outing or not a leader dog golf outing, but a golf outing, um, in support of leader dog. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So it was yesterday actually. So it's fresh in my mind. Um, it was through my dad's local chapter of the uh, VFW. He's very active in that. They have every year a charity golf tournament. And they wanted this year to support my family in some way. So they kind of came to me and said, you know, how can we support you? What what charity would you think would support, you know, the world, the world of visual impairment? And I said, Leader Dog, 110%. <laughs> so Leader Dog was our beneficiary. Um, I was there with Ayla. We were there with some local Lions Club members as well to do we did a little game where people would put a blindfold on and and you know hit, hit a golf ball and try to you know try to get it towards a target and um however i was astounded that they ended up raising the, the final numbers haven't come out yet but it's going to be somewhere around thirty thousand dollars for Lena. wow that's awesome and like the awareness to, I mean, the money, of course, is amazing. We're so appreciative, um, but also the awareness that you're spreading. So you're sharing about not only visual impairments, but also specifically leader dogs for the blind. Who knows what will come out of that too, of, you know, maybe more donors, maybe a puppy raiser or volunteer yeah. or somebody else coming to get services. So we're appreciative because that is awesome. And I'm so glad it went well. It sounds like it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, we were a little bit concerned about rain, so it was kind of cute. I had Ayla's rain jacket <laughs> at the ready um, to go, but it thankfully did not rain. It ended up being a beautiful day, so, you know, that was great. Absolutely love and that. One of an, another local client came, uh, so you got to meet him and his guide dog, and he shared a little bit about his experience with the group, too. So it sounds like it was just an awesome event. We got a lot of really nice comments after. Um, so Daniel said something. I said spoke a, a few words, um, and and we got a really a lot of really nice comments. People even came up, you know, kind of teary eyed and crying and being like, "You've inspired me so much." And um, it it's just great. It's it's just such a nice feeling when you really change change or educate someone about your disability. It's it's great. It's empowering. That's exactly what you're doing. You're empowering yourself and others. And I want to thank you. We want to thank you so much, not only for the fundraiser, for the awareness, the work you're doing at your doctor's office, but also for joining us today. We're so thankful that you were able to take the time out of your very busy schedule to join us and share a little bit about yourself. So... Of course. I'm so thankful that you guys had me. Absolutely. And thank you so much to our listeners for listening to the Taking the Lead podcast. I'm Leslie Hoskins with hosts Timothy Cunio and Christina Hepner. We hope you enjoyed learning about Arabella. Please join us next week as we continue to dive into the world of blindness. And if you'd like to learn more about applying to Leader Dog, you can head to leaderdog.org or call us at 888-777-5332. And don't forget, you can reach us at takingthelead at leaderdog.org with any questions or ideas. If you like today's podcast, make sure to hit subscribe and check us out wherever podcasts stream.